Before jumping into the podcast, I have a huge favor to ask you. Would you take three seconds to scroll up and rate Chats Under the Sun on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts? I would be super thrilled if this podcast would reach 100 reviews within the next month or so. So if you wouldn't mind giving me a hand with that, I would be very grateful. Thanks. I think it was the theologians who first started the idea. Later, the philosophers took it over. And now some of the scientists are doing the same. What you are comes out in what you do. You see the point? Out of ourselves and into Christ, we must go. This is Chats Under the Sun with Jacob Volk. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Let's go. Uh, happy birthday, George Orwell. Amen. Did any of you guys read uh, uh, any Orwell this year in the books that we're reading? That's a no for me. No. Yeah. No. Also no for me, other than Animal Farm, which I read in the last 24 hours after you requested it. No. <laughs> I did send that in the group chat. But I'm super stoked for this. Uh, you guys are stoked for this. We did the um, we did like a year-end recap of the books that we read at the end of last year. And it was like a gargantuan, like four and a half hour long podcast. So we thought, hey, let's, you know, do a, a mid-year podcast, a mid-year book recap. And, but we all ended up reading nearly as much as we read in the, in the last six months as we did last year. And we added Jesse. So easily we're going to go just as long, except for some maybe time constraints, but we'll have to figure that out. So do you guys want to just introduce yourselves quickly and then we can dive into it and maybe maybe do a little brief overview. We talked last time a bit more of our philosophy of books and stuff, so we can probably avoid doing that. But maybe Jesse, if if just if you have any kind of a philosophy of like why you read or how you read, if you have any thoughts on that, then you're more than welcome because you didn't get a chance last time. Sure. Yeah, I'll keep it brief. Um, I try to divide it equally. Like mo- mostly I just read what I enjoy and I don't force myself to read too many mm. things that I do. I, I do a little bit, but generally, yeah, I just, did you want to jump into my Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I was just going to do a follow-up question of like, how do you pick the order of the books that you're going to choose? Okay. So, so I, because jumping in, jumping question. in again super quickly, because Jesse, you probably have the most premeditated way of reading of any of us. Like you have a big list that you want to get through and you prioritize your books and, and move things up in a spreadsheet, right? Yeah. So I have like a list of things going and I can kind of see, like I color code it by sort of like w- brain, heart, uh, like imagination, whatever you want to call it. So it's like fiction would be like imagination. And then like heart is more like, you know, theology or just st- or devotionals or things like that. And then like mine is just like just general learning about anything in the world. And I generally want to kind of have like a somewhat even spread. I don't, I don't worry about it too much, but it's like, I don't want to, fully only read fiction and end up in that world or on the flip side i've i've had seasons of life where i was only reading like theology or business books and i just found that i wasn't like i don't know i wasn't like growing my imagination and thinking about like people in the world and how they interact with it so like fiction is so important people who don't read fiction like get on that honestly it expands your horizons almost more than nonfiction does bro i am feeling chastised that i don't have a color-coded spreadsheet prioritizing the books i'm gonna read next the books i'm going to read i know i I cannot believe that you are that intentional and planned i literally finish a book i'm like huh what am i gonna read next and i scratch my belly and i look around the room (laughs) (laughs) here's the thing though people are always i mean i'm sure all of you have this where people are always recommending you books and it's like i don't want to forget because oftentimes i am genuinely interested in what they have to say but i but i also can't just like read it next so i don't get me wrong. I edit the list constantly. And if one thing is just calling to me where I'm like, I just really want to read a novel. I just bump one of the novels up the list. Like who cares? Like, yeah. 
yeah i'm feeling something light so i like i just bumped a novel up the list ahead of a bunch of like heavier stuff so really quick like break so that's that's my thing i read to like a entertain myself and b to like grow as a person and fortunately there's a lot of material that can do both at the same time um you don't often have Mm. to to eat too many like unpleasant vegetables in order to like be nourished but also have a great time uh if you guys want like a really quick like breakdown of what i read this year like yeah let's start with that but quickly before yeah well i'm happy to let mm-hmm. you start with that let's just do a quick names and voices for anyone who might not be familiar with us so most people should know my name and voice but jess you've been talking hey i'm jesse cool this is owen and this is john michael Woo! <laughs> nice all right jess go do you want to do yeah do well just so so like 10, a per, just a percentage i did uh uh 14 fiction uh 19 biography 33 business and nonfiction. so just like general learning i guess general nonfiction learning and then 33 theology wow your theology percentage is way bigger than mine that's sick. Yeah, but you definitely read more theology than I did, even if my percentage was bigger. Every year, though, I am like surprised. Like, not at, you read so much that the small percentage is still lots of books, but I'm always surprised that theology is as low a percentage. Mm. Just consider, yeah, just considering that, like, you want to be a pastor and stuff, and you care about it more than me for and, sure, and know more than me. But again, exactly, if you read more it's books, not like it's. I'm not saying anything particular. It's just I'm always interested that it's uh, the percentage that it is. Yeah, it's very balanced. Yeah, yeah. I um, I mean, part of it is is one of the theology textbooks that I read was eleven hundred pages, so that's like, you know, four books potentially, and there's a couple that are on the go that are like you know four or five hundred page books. So, I think the books that I end up reading are a lot more dense, whereas a solid piece of fiction I can just knock out really quickly and have less time thinking about it. Also, you know, you you spend so much time in the classroom digesting this stuff. And then reading books on it that sometimes you just want to spill your, fill your spare time with other stuff, spill your fair time. Cool. Totally. That's a good. That's a that's a good percentage. Who wants to do the percentage? I did not give a very detailed percentage breakdown. I just kind of really quickly did it today. So there's a bunch of generals in here, but like uh, classic stuff mixed with a little bit of fantasy is forty percent. Uh, and then just like general Christian living stuff is 13%. And then books solely focused on sexuality, pretty much all theology, which would normally go in Christian living, is 35%. Mm-hmm. And then uh, to break that a little bit more specifically, 5% business books and 5% just like biography mixed with kind of reflective uh, books. And if it isn't obvious, the reason that Jake and Jermichael have such high percentages because they're filming a documentary right now, so they're trying to be as well read on the subjects as they can, and you should go to givesengo.com slash documentary. Uh, Please Because do they're that. reading a lot of books, and they deserve... Well, they don't deserve it. The documentary deserves it. Preach, brother. Um, yeah, I'll do mine. Uh, I've got a bit more detail with my breakdown. Um, and this is arbitrary, right? Because I have a category called classics. So for me, the idea of... of classics differentiates from fiction that if it was written over 100 years ago even though it obviously could be a piece of fiction it kind of falls into that everyone should read almost like iconic culture shaping piece of work anything that's maybe newer than 100 years doesn't fall into that so i could have different reasons for reading it so there's books that i don't necessarily love or or think i might love but i still want to read because they have that 
you know, pedigree of age, if that makes sense. So that's why, so classics means that for me. I have 14% classics, 10% theology proper, which is crazy. Um, 16% fiction, a lot of fiction this this year. Uh, 4% history, 2% self-help, which is a really vague category. Um, 12% biographies, like a lo- I've read surprisingly a lot of biographies this year. Um, and then I have a category called porn related, which is all the books we've been reading in order to better like educate ourselves um, for filming this documentary, which is at 36% and then 4% other. So, and that 36%, I think is like 16 books. I, I mad no, respect like, you like guys. Like 21 books. I respect you guys so much for reading all these books relating to the documentary you're producing. I want to say for the record, it would be very heavy on me to be spending so much time and so many covers that are on that topic. And I've spent time there yeah. and I've read a lot about this, probably significantly more than the average person. And still the idea of reading that many books in that sort of space of time on that topic, like I think I'd find it almost sickening. Do you guys have that experience before we go into this? It, it's interesting we talked about it because I I feel like I had that more at first and I'm not like per se happy about this but I now more feel like when I approach them it's like I've thought about them and talked about all these ideas so many times that I guess the emotional punch of it is a little bit out unless it's like a person that I'm talking to again even just as we're talking about uh, just like these really sensitive and and hard topics it's it's lost the emotional aspect that it had before because of like that's constantly what we're talking about so i'm actually a little bit bummed about that because i think there's sort of like this rawness that can be helpful to get at the gravity of the topic and that does happen when i'm talking to a real person a real struggler um but a little bit less so in just a book now that's so interesting. Like I, I haven't had it with talking about the subject in general that much, but I've, I've like a friend who has an incredibly intense testimony, but he's told it so many times that he's like very comfortable with it. And it's not that it isn't an emotional for him, but it's like, he'll literally be talking about like sexual assault and stuff. And it's, and people will be like, they'll almost be in tears and he'll be like, like he'll remember that this is a heavy subject and he, right. he's just talked yeah. about it so many times. And my, my story is not nearly that crazy, but like, it's like, yeah, same thing where I've like, I'm so comfortable sharing about my past at this point that I almost forget how much gravity it has, which is good for me, but <laughs> not good in general always. Yeah. Anyway, it's just tough. Right. No, I, I had this a little bit with like, we've been going around talking at different places and sharing our stories on podcasts. And uh, it's a lot of people like, that's really brave of you to share it. And on one hand, it's like, okay, yeah, that's true. Like, I am talking about one of the most vulnerable things for me, my own story. But on the other hand, it's like, I've shared it so many times now with so many different people. It doesn't have the emotional aspect. I almost wish it did. Yeah, I mean, it, it was brave once upon a time. but Right. For the first 20 times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And no, it's 100% true. Um, the other thing is like, so I just I just checked our, our personal list. To date, Jermichael and I have read 26 books most of those both of us um on the subject and that like specifically with the documentary in mind if that makes sense and so it's one of the cool things that makes it less hard is that so many of the books are really oriented to hope and really oriented to to god so it's like it's both hard but if the whole book was just dedicated to 
this is how horrible pornography is. That would get depressing. And I've read some of the books on that list, which I'll get into, are super depressing for that reason because I've read them. They weren't. They're not Christian books. Those have been hard, and I have to really space those out. But most of the books point you to Christ so quickly that it's not that depressing of a read. All said and done. Okay, uh, my breakdown. I love. The, no one can see this because it's a podcast. But all three of these guys who are sitting here with me have actual pie charts, <laughs> multicolored pie charts on computer <laughs> software with like percentage breakdowns to let you know what genres they're reading. It is so like their lives are just better organized than my life is. Look at this. Look at this crap. I, I can't even believe it. Like Jake, John Michael, and Jesse all have multicolored pie charts discussing what they've been reading for the last six months. Who does that with their life? I, I respect it. I have a piece of paper with with tally marks on it. Well, you showed up with wearing a suit and tie, okay? Like you outclassed us. Like we're trying to outorganize you, but like we're just playing to our strengths here. I, I, Honestly, I, Owen, I bet you first wrote it with like a beautiful piece of parchment and quill, and false. then you were like, and then you said, false. "Ah, I can't do that to the boys," and you rewrote it on like lined paper. False. I ripped this out of my sister's lessons book, and then I scrawled on it with my pen that said "Moore's Clothing for Men" on it. There was no parchment and no quill pen. That Shut is false. Moore's. Yeah. Um. So. I read 28 books. I am, I think, on the bottom end of the, the guys here in the last six months. Uh, of those, 11 were like uh, practical, personal, or, or general theology. They would fall under your theology. Uh, I, I have basically three basic categories, theology, fiction, and general nonfiction. Even in the fiction and general nonfiction, there are some pieces in there that you could maybe, you know, everything's got theology in it, I guess. Uh, but <laughs> the theology specific, it's got 11 books. So actually more than 33%, which surprises me. I'm the one guy here who's not going to seminary. Well, I guess you too, Jesse. Uh, fiction, we got nine in there. And then general nonfiction, I've got eight. Oh. Cool. Oh, and then I have like a quick little <clears throat> breakdown for the authors who got to, who I read multiple of. I read four Woodhouse books. I read five C.S. Lewis. Whoa. And then I read two by uh, a guy named Yalom. Cool. Do you want to, do you want to like unless you guys have any other preliminary 10,000 foot view thoughts we could dive into book number 1 Let's dive let's dive Uh Owen or I just have one other thing I'm curious what's the like it, it said you you how many did you of the top person you read what was the CS Lewis I read 5 Okay So I I was, I'm just interested to see what the top author you guys all read this year so far was cuz I read eight C.S. Lewis books this year, which is just like interesting. I'm just looking at that right now. Like, oh, I didn't realize I was reading that much C.S. Lewis. Neither did I. I wasn't like going on a C.S. Lewis binge or anything. Right. Like, it's just, he kind of slips in there. Like, he's the, he is the filler kind of book that I'm like, I don't know what I want to pick up. Probably C.S. Lewis. Yeah. So hilariously, I just a quick skim through my list. I'm 90% sure that Lewis is the author. I read the most of this so far this year too, except I've read three. My I've, I have a very broad list of of books this year. Jesse, the only even double I have is Walter Isaacson, but we'll, we'll talk oh, about that soon. So nice. let's uh, let's get cracking. Yeah. Michael, do you want to start? <clears throat> uh, or sure. um, so number one for my list is Rescue Skills by Deepak Raju and Jonathan Holmes. Um, yeah, I feel like I've talked about this book a ton. This is like one of my top three favorite books on pornography um and this one's directly oriented towards the helper 
and that's kind of what they why they wrote it a little bit distinctively it's like just a whole bunch of skills that a helper needs to understand and know to walk alongside someone who's struggling with pornography uh, or even just like other sexual sin too <clears throat> but uh really really good and we've been able to meet both those guys and they're just like it's very practical which i love but also super solid theology only beef with it it felt a little bit scattered mm. hopefully deepak doesn't listen to this but like uh it that was my only thing it's like i love all the content but i can't even recall the structuring of the book right now which is bad because i've actually looked at it a bunch of times so love the book but kind of beef on the structure yeah my favorite thing about that book and the comparison book rescue plan is you know they saw that there was a lot of like you know, 150 page, 200 page books for the struggler out there that are really good. And they're like, let's write two fairly thick books that just really take you through what it's like to help someone. And I think there was a need that they saw that, that I'm just really glad they, they dove into that. So any other thoughts, boys? I'd really recommend them. If you're someone who wants to help people, they're, they're a good book to read. Um, my first book of the of 2022 was The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. What a zany book. Love it. Yeah, now, it's a great book. You mean like the, all five or no, no, just, just the first one. number yeah, one? Okay. Just number one. Um, I hear they kind of get kind of more meh as they go on. False. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Lay down the law. Okay, so I should I should read some more? Oh, you, you got to read them all. Okay. They, they get they get weird. The first one is classic for a reason. It's yeah. it's, it's really fun. His tone is really consistent. Um, you have a little tonal shift, but overall, read them all. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, there's not much to say about the book. It's just, it's hilarious. Super light. Oh, it's, what is it about? It's like a, it, it's satirical sci-fi. Yeah. So there's a guy, he gets like, it's so, whim- it's, it's so much more about the writing style and the whimsical like comments on, on humanity and, and stuff. Oh yeah. It's a story of a guy who like earth blows up. And I almost don't want to give it away. It is hilarious. It's really funny. It's sci-fi. It's completely weird. It's a very like it's a very like snarky kind of whimsical way of writing. So it's like kind of every you know every other paragraph gives you something to go <laughs> about, right? It's it's just that kind of book. It's really good. It's super light. It's not going to deeply enrich your life, but it's very fun, which is a good thing to have in your life. All right, my first book this year was Mere Christianity. Uh, a reread for me. Uh, chances are everyone here has read it mm-hmm. okay no no news there it's good it's actually shorter than i remember it being huh. i would have read it when i was younger and was reading less i guess but it's a very short book i remember reading it and being like this might have like changed my life depending on when i read this but if it was anybody else writing these same things i think i would be a little bit bored but because it's c.s lewis i love it <laughs> Yeah, I, that was not what I read. I, I I benefited more from it than whenever I read it before. Maybe I should read it a second time. But I just remember thinking like, wow, this all great stuff. But the reason I'm actually engaged with this and what makes it like a special book is because it's C.S. Lewis. And maybe that's just kind of obvious, like because but, of his style or because you're you've got like brand loyalty. Uh, I think because of his style, even just like uh, I'll get into it. But like some of the other C.S. Lewis books that I read this year is like he has this way of bringing you into a topic from like the back door you've been looking at the front door the whole time and he takes you in the back door and shows you the backstage that is beautifully said like, I like it's that. just really good 
That's a kind of philosophical discussion of Christianity. Yeah. Almost for the unbeliever, almost. Like, it, yeah. it breaks it down for someone on the outside. But you say philosophy, and that's totally true, but it's super grounded and just thoughtful, you know? Like, it's not... I, absolutely. It, it's got that sort of folksy, homey yeah, wisdom yeah. that C.S. Lewis brings to everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I feel like he's one of those authors who, like, usually the really deep thinkers, like, just being honest, I'm not dumb or anything, but I need, like, someone else to digest it for me and make it simpler. And, like, C.S. Lewis, like, I'd consider him a great thinker, but I can, like, I can easily digest his books. Yeah, and honestly, that was that entire generation of British writers. You have G.K. Chesterton, C.S. Lewis, A.A. Milne. They all had that same folksy, they're not talking down to you, but somehow they're talking horizontally with you i'm also a common man but let me talk to you mm. about a really complex idea and it's it's beautiful and i don't know what that literary tradition came out of but we need more writers who can manage that horizontal humble yeah. but also thoughtful and complex way of talking to be fair they did that because they tried to because lewis also wrote some very technical like heavy stuff but i would say like even his more technical books are still Again, just like surprisingly accessible. Yeah. I mean, I read some of his essays this year and it was just like, oh, interesting when they're uh, some essays and lectures, when they're oriented towards like uh, people he's talked, like different mm. groups that he's talking to. It's okay. like, it's just interesting to see his tonal shift and even yeah. it's like he's got levels of philosophical he'll go. And so some of them were just like, oh, I can tell this is going over my head right now. Uh, like I just know like I know enough to know that I don't know anything um, but then most of his other stuff is like oh you're you're telling me this so that I can understand it but trying to bring me into something else totally um, I would say like if you guys are if uh, we're not doing music recommendations here but like the musical slash poetic equivalent of that for me is Rich Mullins where he is like fo like folksy is the perfect word for him and it's so accessible but he also just like so incredibly deep in his poetry anywho my first book of the year was the hobbit uh by J.R.R. Oh, tolkien nice. a classic <clears throat> i i don't remember why at all i just remember that january was really stressful and i was or january slash december and i just really wanted something that was like comfort food and not only is it comfort food because i've read it and because it's just a really fun story but also like i got it read to me as an audiobook which reminds me of like my mom reading to me as a kid, it's probably why. So shout out to mom for, um, for those good memories. But anyway, Andy, it was not my mom reading it to me. It was Andy Circus, who is just kind of the opposite of my mom. Um, <laughs> yeah, hard right turn. But Andy Circus, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, voices Gollum in the Lord of the Rings movies. But that's actually him doing some crazy falsetto. Jake can do a killer impression. Do it right now. Just say like this. Do this it. bubbly tastes good. Not master. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, first. Anywho, <laughs> for anyone who hasn't seen the movies, that's what he sounds like. But the actor who does has this crazy deep voice, and so his range is just nuts. So he can do the perfect golem because he played him in the movies. But then he also just killed it on all these twelve different dwarfs' voices to the point where I could differentiate between the twelve of them, which I can't even do when I'm reading the book on paper. So like, just masterful acting. Like it was like watching a movie. So highly if. If you've already read The Hobbit a billion times, just do it again, but listen to the audible Andy Serkis version. Yeah, hot take. The Hobbit is far more enjoyable to read than Lord of the Rings. For me. I enjoy, I just like... Yeah, I think I like them equally for different <clears throat> reasons, but but the yeah, it's comfort food. It just, it goes down, goes down smooth. Yeah, and he wrote it as a kid's book, essentially. Like, it's like a very 
very very long thoughtful brilliant kids book but it's 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 pitched toward like a 12 year old who's going to enjoy it so much while their parents like enjoying it just as much as they're reading it to them i'm done uh number two for me red notice by bill browder oh man i feel like we've talked about this book on the podcast before you have i have Mm -hmm. okay so I'll try not to repeat myself too much. Owen, you're looking shocked and dismayed. Have you not heard of Red Notice by Bill Browder? It rings a bell, which might be from you mentioning it on the podcast. Now that you say that, okay, hit us with what it's about. Though. So I can't remember, it's a autobiography of a. It's it's almost split in, in half. The first half is about just his life story, following along uh, about being a stock. Uh, investor broker I remember this now. okay yeah anyways and then the second half is human rights stuff about him trying to get justice for uh, his lawyer who was and I'll, I'll just give like a little bit of a hook who is unlawfully taken by authorities in Russia and then trying to use for a smear campaign there and then uh, yeah anyways does not end well did one of you not read this last year for the book podcast I, I also read it last year Oh, you this is a repeat for me. Oh, like, it okay. Is, I'm like John Michael. Have you not like done did this last time we did this thing? It, okay. it was just as good the second time, except there's one distinctive thing which I'm going to let uh, Jake say. I don't know about the distinctive thing, um, but I read this because you said it was really good, and I, I like finance in general. Like I think finance and stuff is interesting, so you know I was I'm down for that. If you're someone listening who's like I don't care about finance at all, read this book anyways. It's like. Oh, it is so gripping. And the fact that it's a true story is just, like, mind-boggling to me. It's such an incredible book. Especially just with all the Russia stuff going on right now. Like, even just to get in the minds of how do... Yeah, with Putin, how does he do media? And think about that. And then on top of that, like, it actually made me... Like, I had tears at multiple points in that book. Yeah. And I do tear up in books more often than, like, movies and things. But... It was just like for a non-Christian book, it hit me in the emotions. Like just a really, really cool true story. So also sad because at the end, it's like it's all about finding justice for people who are being oppressed. And it's like, yeah, but you don't have the gospel. Like it, it was actually sort of just a sad ending, even though it was kind of happy because there, there wasn't the hope of the gospel there. So great book, though. Very great book. Jesse, you read it this year too, right? Yeah, that was actually my second book. So I'm like good to sit out this round. Uh, I would echo everything you guys said. Utterly fascinating. Uh, if I had to be a negative Nancy, my only feedback would be that I found his writing. I just didn't like his writing style. Okay. But like he just kind of came across as really arrogant to me. And I, I get that that's sort of what he was going for. But but like um, fascinating story and definitely highly recommend. Yeah. Jess, pull up your mic to the... Or pull up your voice to the mic a little bit more. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, you good. Also, you're talking. You're you're such a tall boy that you're talking a little over the mic. So you can. Gotcha. Oh. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Jake, yeah, yeah. you're good to go for your next book. Are cool, you? Cool. Or, by the way, are you going to be doubling up since you read kind of more than us? Um. Yeah. I'll I'll probably do that. Or um, just double up any that are possibly relevant to each sure, other. Sure. Sure. Um. Well, actually, I'll I'll double up these two for reasons. Um. Screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. I almost don't want to spend too much time talking about it. Like it is. Without a shadow of a doubt, one of my top ten books recommended of all time. Did Andy Circus read that one too? Yes. Yeah, technically that's an audio drama, not an audio book, but it is. But it has all the same words, just with some extra dialogue added. They basically like filled in if if half the letters were conversations. Let's say they filled in with like an also amazing voice actor for Wormwood. It is just like 
wildly entertaining so well done and andy circus kills it scariest but but also funniest voice ever it's just like it, it hits all the comedy and horror of screw tape letters which which is rife with both and it's just like yeah. literally one of my top five books of all time for sure yeah it's like i'm so like good. i'm like read 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 this book this book is incredible it is actually i'm gonna pair this with another book way farther down i read um i read pilgrim's progress so this is much much farther down i read pilgrim's progress. i'm reading that right now with Chloe. okay okay i read it to her tonight while she falls asleep Aww. cool that's totally adorable i didn't <laughs> this is hey we'll push back on this if you're if you're loving it, if this is really deeply meaningful for you then i don't want to rain on that parade blaspheme. i didn't like pilgrim's progress that much I don't. Dude, like, if, if someone wrote it today, I'd be like, this is kind of crappy. But, like, I, correct me if I'm wrong, those of you who are more literate than me. Wasn't it kind of groundbreaking in terms of its, like, um, like now now re, now that we've read other allegories like Narnia or something like that, we want a little bit of subtlety. And he's just like, the giant of doubt. And it's, like, not subtle at all. And I think, you know, but I think, not, like, at the time, it was kind of groundbreaking, right? Yeah, so, th- that's for sure. That's for sure. But... I, the the whole that on the nose allegoriness doesn't bother me at all. Okay. The struggle I have is like I, I'm actually cool with that. I'm no problems. The struggle I have is like the character. Every single character is so blazingly unrealistic. <laughs> it's like, and it's not even like, you know, there's like some guy that's so good that's kind of annoying. It's like they just trade places. One minute Christian's just useless, and the next minute he's like. But must we have not have faith? And then he's just like the paradigm of absolute perfect virtue. Okay, but that just lines keep... up with me in my life. I'm not that I'm ever a paradigm of perfect <laughs> virtue, but I have my moments. That's true. And then sometimes I'm so stupid, I can't even believe it. Fair, fair. The way it's written, I, I don't know. I can't... Sometimes, like, at some point, like, Christiana just starts singing a song about, like, the death of the enemies of God. And you're like, wait, what? What, what the heck? Or another point, in the second part of the second half of the book, it's like the kids are being catechized. And then they just like start prattling off the perfect answers to every question every time for like six pages. And you're like, no child could ever do that. Okay. It's ever. a bad, it's a bad it's, story. It's a but, bad piece of fiction. But as a book, like if you just, I don't even know. I just, for what it is, I love it. But sure, you're sure. right. As like, as a compared to other fiction, it's yeah. not great. So, and, and the reason, but the reason I bring up that this, the Protocol of Progress and the dude, I am so aware this is widely against like popular opinion. Like there's a reason Pilgrim's Progress is still beloved. I think CS, I think Screwtape Letters does a lot of what C, what of what Pilgrim's Progress might be trying to do, but so deeply insightful that I I would recommend uh, Screwtape Letters over Pilgrim's Progress if you're trying to get a the walk of the Christian life insights into temptations kind of stuff. Yeah, but I I feel like I wouldn't recommend Pilgrim's Progress for that. Like I the, I read it for the same reason you were talking about reading classics where it's more of like, right. It's more fascinating to me to like capture a piece of someone's mind from that century. Sure. And, like, and just the writing style, like, like I'm the version I'm reading is like not modernized at all. So there's all these words that I've literally never heard before. You can totally pick up what they mean by context. Yeah. There's just weird <clears throat> grammar and I, I love it. I'm just like, yeah. and it's, it's also pretty short too. So you don't have to like slog like some books that you could read to get that same effect would be a lot more of a slog. Yeah. And again, it's so slap you in the face, obvious with the, what the morals are that it's like, I can focus more on the interesting parts of it than I have to on yeah. like what's actually happening in the story. I get Another that. reason I'm really enjoying it is like the episodical format is good for reading yeah. at night because it's like, I read a couple pages and it's sort of like a quick episode of like, and now they're at Vanity Fair. So anyway. I get that. And for, on that reason, it's interesting. I do think a lot of people recommend it to like early Christians. Oh, okay. And I just, 
I honestly, I just don't see the point. It's just not. Also, some of the exegesis is hideous. <laughs> like legit. Have you got to the part where Moses comes up and Moses is like, the correct divining is just as like, I, I don't even, I have this quote somewhere. Like, just like the hair, like he goes to the Mosaic law and just like the hair chews the cud, but does not split the hoof. Yet the, uh, yet the cow chews the cub and splits and does split the hoof. Therefore, the correct gospel interpretation is the sinners that do not split the way of truth are the ones. It's like this weird, alle- I mean, super allegorizing. It's just like nonsense. The whole thing, it, like, and I know the thing's literally a dream, but it is like a fever dream. It's so <laughs> weird. It's so weird how it goes from like there's randomly Bible characters in it, and then there's like Satan and Jesus and God are mentioned, but it's also an allegory. So there's like all characters that are representative. So it's like super weird. Like it goes from like these things that are clearly demonic forces again like the yeah. giant of dead or something like that but then there's just like straight up apollyon which is just like an actual demon it's it's like very bizarre yeah super bizarre i, I can't that's sort of the other reason i love it it doesn't really make sense <laughs> anyways it is like a dream <laughs> the screw tape letters is incredible the audio drama that focus on the family produced with andy circus is so good like it is inc- it's so good and the thing with screw tape letters every time i read it and i've read it probably five times another part of the book will hit me and i'll go oh wow that is so me like literally the screw type letters is my autobiography like or my biography like it feels like it's writing exactly about me yeah the screw type letters is super it's so insightful about what we are on the inside and the way we think and the way we sin uh, another book that did something similar for me actually that goes back to i kind of see why you would bring up pilgrim's progress um but it's another book in the the Puritan writing tradition uh, by John Owens uh, on the mortification of sin in believers. I found it hit me a bunch of times in a screw taped letters style way. It was not fiction at all. It was strictly, yeah, nonfiction, uh, just discussing what's going on in our hearts and how how do we actually try to pursue sanctification and mortify our sin. Uh, and it had little moments of talking about like that internal dialogue between you and yourself where you're, you're talking yourself into a thing. And it, it felt very screw taped lettery in that sense. Mm-hmm. Actually strong recommend. It's not, I should be recommending it. It's not a book I read this year, but <laughs> yeah. uh, that actually reminds me of on temptation by John Owen. Yeah. I'll, I'll get to that later. So we'll leave it for now. Wait, did you, do you read, did you read that as well? Oh, nice. We'll double up on that. Um, Owen. The Pilgrim's Regress by C.S. Lewis. <laughs> it's, it's literally the next book on the list. But uh, yeah, it was one. Uh, it, I think it was the first book he wrote after his conversion, uh, The Pilgrim's Regress. It was, uh, I think, Fever Dream is what uh, Jesse just said. It's, it's a very weird book um, where I guess he says he wasn't necessarily directly telling the story of his conversion, but that there's a lot of overlap. And it's got... It's got some of that clunky metaphor um, and some really just interesting thoughts about where we are as a culture because there's a lot more. He kind of made Pilgrim's Progress 20th century version. It's it's very weird, but it's worth reading. So like Fever Dream is neither a compliment or an insult in my book. Like, would you recommend it? I would. And, and I wasn't using it either as a compliment. It just, it means like, it, it feels very abstract. It feels very weird. It feels like you're having an actual dream while you're sick. You know, that that, that crazy, disjointed, uh, but very palpable, real kind of experience. It, very, very neat book, but I would say it's more for the discerning reader. Okay. Yeah, just because it's a little bit more out there. 
and he was just processing quite honestly uh, i also the version i read had his notes that he wrote on it much later where he wrote went back and like you know what if i did this again i would probably change this or i change that so you get to hear his more mature christian perspective on that from his early born again life it's interesting mm-hmm. i'm passing this around because i did red notice so yeah, but we would all sort of end at a more even spot without one person raising head then. So, Jermichael, you go sure. for it. <clears throat> so, next up, I'm going to pair two. Magician's Nephew and The Horseman's Boy. Um, uh, without going too much on C.S. Lewis. It's just, these ones, I've read them so many times, grown up listening to them over and over, every time again. Like, uh, Jess and I listened to this together. And so many times pausing it and just being like, that's he's pulling stuff from scripture to make a point here. And I just need to meditate and think on this for a little while, which I feel like that's not how I've consumed those books in the past. Like, it's just like, Oh, they're great narratives. And I plow through them and they're awesome and they're pretty short. So done. But this time is like, I tried to pause it whenever possible to be like, he just alluded to this story, this story, and this story. What is he drawing there? Like what, what connection, what, not 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 to create some systematic theology, but just like what was the impression of the moment that he's making here through this also kid story. So uh, amazing books, obviously. Really quickly, what are our favorite Narnia books? Oh man, uh, I feel like in actuality, it's definitely the last battle, just because of like the imagery in it, like amazing, but. A close second for me is Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Interesting. Not because of uh, specific points in the book, but just because I'm so intrigued by the idea of a book that doesn't have a, a plot, a plot or destination. Mm. Yeah. And you just follow the characters because you love the characters. They're in a world that you already know about and you love the world. And it's just like, oh, I just enjoy this. Yeah. It's not a movie. It's a TV show. Like it has an overall arcing plot, but it's, it's episodical. Yeah, exactly. It's and great. you just kind of, you... It could go on for hundreds of pages more, and I would enjoy all of it. Yeah. I think the silver chair grabs my imagination the most. I don't know why. I just something about the underground city. Same, so, some same. of the imagery in it is like, might be my favorite, but Last Battle makes me the most emotional. So, and like, honestly, they're all beautiful for different reasons. So, it's tough. Last Battle is so deeply theological. Like, holy moly. Or heretical, depending on who you ask. <laughs> uh, sorry, silver chair. I love silver chair as well. Yeah. That's interesting. So, three silver chairs. Nice. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad there's people who agree with me. And Michael even kind of nodded, like, "Fair enough," because like I find often people are like, "What? That one's your favorite one?" Anyway, I mean, to be fair, if you said any of these, I don't think anyone could be like, "You're dumb. How do you not like that?" Like, they're yeah. they're all so good. The all the magician's nephew would be an interesting choice for your favorite one. It would be. It would be actually. Yeah, it would be an interesting choice. If someone said Prince Caspian, I'd be like, "Have you read the others?" But like, <laughs> okay, hold hold up, no, magician's nephew. I think that's fair. I like magician's nephew for the exact same reasons that I like. The silver chair, weird stuff yeah, that captures yeah. my imagination. It's like oh, the me- the mental images that are painted in my brain because I've never seen a movie of either of those. But I have like a movie that plays anytime I listen to or, or read those books. So like I would say top tier Narnia right there. Okay. Also, also, can we just give uh, just a kudos to Focus on the Family for their their commitment to high quality audio dramas? Because I've I don't think, I don't think I've ever read those books. I've only ever listened to the audio drama version Shots of them. Up. No, I, I stand by that. Like because the, the audio dramas are word for word, right? 
but they do. I think, them I think they're a teeny, teeny, tiny bit of bridge, but like so minor that it's. I I remember flipping through the books oh, okay. and finding quotes and just being like reading along with them, basically. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, let's not go down this rabbit hole, but like I would say. I always knew they were doing amazing work and it didn't hit me how good it was until Audible started uh, releasing audio dramas versions of books and they were low-key quite bad. And it was it was like I would have rather listened to any book. There was one that has Aaron Paul who plays Jesse in Breaking Bad, an amazing actor. And the hilarious part was that all the other actors were kind of amateurs. You could tell they kind of got him to be like their big name. And it was almost worse having him in it because every time he would talk, you would remember what good acting was <laughs> and it would take you, you would just sort of be settling into the story. It's like, okay, I'm just enjoying the story for what it is. And then he would start talking like, oh yeah, they're all terrible actors. You just yank me out every time. So it's really hard to make a good audio drama. It's really yeah. hard. So the fact they're doing well is like pretty yeah. mind blowing and hopefully Audible will catch up someday because I enjoy audio dramas. Yeah. Um, I, I have an audio drama coming up and it was that from Audible and it was jaw dropping incredible um next book adorning the dark by andrew peterson i feel like we have to restrain ourselves because we're probably gonna want to talk about this for like 15 minutes it was it was a great book it was a really good book i just i really it's basically it's sort of autobiographical a bit it's also andrew peterson's sort of i think you call it a memoir right i guess so yeah it's also his just musings on creativity and and a bit, a bit of his story too. Just Andrew Peterson's a a, a singer it's songwriter. Like, it's like musings paired with so many life stories, but yeah. it's not really in order, so it's not a yeah. biography for that. So reason. I love a lot of his thoughts. He he's someone who just tries to make life rich and beautiful in in so many of the things he does, and he tries to make music rich and beautiful. And he just has a lot of great musings. And I I found myself. It's so funny because. And this is a huge debate. We've had this debate on another podcast. The whole idea of being a creative. I feel like I deeply resonate with that book because I feel similar to him. And some of the struggles that he has with the world and the things that he finds so much meaning and value from. I'm like, oh, that's the same. I, I really feel that, dude. And I, I feel like that is also alien to a lot of people. But could be wrong. A yeah, big debate. that's the one, one reason I felt very like there's this word that's floating around that I kind of makes me cringe. But like seen. I feel seen, people say. But the reason I felt like I felt kind of like comforted almost reading the book is uh, sort of like he had such a similar influences to me in terms of like Lewis, Tolkien, and Rich Mullins are people he references constantly. Mm. And so it's like those are three of the people who like emotionally have impacted me the most in my life through their art of, of songwriting and book writing. And so just knowing someone else has that which tons of people do, but like just, I don't know. Anytime you meet, you just feel like this kindred spirit kind of vibe. So it was just a really enjoyable book for me. I didn't read it this year. I read it last year, but great. Yeah. Highly recommend. Uh, next book on my list is eugenics and other evils by GK Chesterton. <laughs> Honestly. So it begins like, I'm just been waiting for the weird titles to hit. Cause I'm like, Oh, and have you changed in the yeah. last like six months? What's going on? I only there got two out, man. One of them crazy, was the Pilgrim's Regress. Like... Okay. Uh, eugenics <laughs> and other evils by Chesterton. Um, in it, he just talks about basically evils that he sees, uh, coming into being in the 20th century. Uh, and I, I think, yeah, fair enough. He published it in 1922. Eugenics would prove to be one of the darkest, heaviest evils of the entire what century. What a prophetic word. Yeah. Good night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well worth reading. It's just basically a collection of his uh, sort of like critical essays on uh, sort of 20th century morality. 
Um, and th- it's well worth reading collections of people's essays. Mm. Some really good thinkers get some punchy thoughts out in essays. Mm. Very true. That's what, it. Owen, what's your top, maybe this is too far of a digression, but G.K. Chesterton uh, book. Can you pick? I I haven't read enough Chesterton. That's right <laughs> out of the gate. That's the reality. I've read a bunch of Chesterton. Um, I've read a bunch of his fiction. I've read a bunch of orthodoxy, probably. Yeah. But it feels like such a such a safe choice. A uh, lot of people hit me with the chest. The orthodoxy yeah. is their top pick. Um, this was a good one, honestly. I've read three or four Chesterton. Heretics was really confusing to me. Orthodoxy was great. Okay. So I feel like I would go. With I haven't that. read Heretics. The man who's Thursday. Man who's Thursday just sucks. That's it does not suck. It is actually an absolutely brilliant work of fiction. It's just. Okay. <laughs> uh, Sorry, little stop. My second book of twenty twenty was or to, wait, what year are we in twenty twenty two? Whatever. <laughs> was Steve Jobs? Oh! Jake waxed eloquent about this last time, so we don't need to do it again. But like, I loved it, and like weirdly, I'm usually not a details guy, but. I and this book was insanely detailed like you talked about everything from Steve Jobs fights about like the colors or the contours of you know the font or whatever and I ate up the details partly because this is sort of my like field that I'm in is graphic design and product design but like also because I grew up using Apple computers like those early some of those semi-early ones so like it just felt so relevant and I was like I was literally plowing this book so quickly and eating up the details so just I can see Jamichael writing some stuff down. Uh, it's Steve Jobs' biography by Walter Isaacson. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Not his autobiography, which uh, sorry, I don't think he ever made. Sorry, my bad, my bad, my it bad. It is it is called Steve Jobs. Yeah. Okay. Do, sorry. It is. Yeah. Again, we we got to be a snippier with our time. Just a yeah. second. It's so I'll, I'm so just gonna good. double up another book too. Immediately after that, I was so blown away by how good Walter Isaacson's writing was that I was like, I'm just gonna read another biography, and I almost picked at random uh, Leonardo <laughs> da Vinci, who I've always been pretty fascinated by, but for some reason. I just was not grabbed by this book. I, I did you did you read it? Is okay. it by Walter Isaacson? As yeah, well? it is. Oh, huh. But but for some reason, the exact thing that I loved about Steve Jobs, which was the crazy detail, for some reason, just bored me with this one. It was just like, and his grandfather lived in this small town in Italy. And for some, I think it might have just been the mood I was reading, in, but I was bored to death. I had to fight tooth and claw to finish this one. Um, I I do still think Steve Walter Isaacson's a great writer, and I do still think Leonardo da Vinci is insanely fascinating, but. I was actually really bored by this I have, book. I have a theory quickly on why. I think the reason that um, Steve Jobs' biography and all the details is so fascinating is because you probably have an iPhone. Like, you've clicked on the apps. You So when he goes into all this weird detail about the curvature of the apps and, like, the dis- product design and all this stuff, you're like, yeah, this is literally my life. You might have used iTunes before. You definitely are part of the streaming, like, like or streaming revolution wasn't at jobs as much, but like you've seen Apple stores, you've like all this stuff is actually so part of our lives that to learn all the nitty gritty detail about why a MacBook screen is like a certain, all this different things. I think that hits you harder. Whereas who gives a crap about Michelangelo's dad? Yeah. I'm super short sighted. Like if something's past my grandparents age, I don't give a crap. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. I was, was going to be Sorry. like, I was excited to hear that Jesse had read that book. I haven't read it, but I've been trying to encourage Jesse to read um, art history. Um, and apparently he got let down. Uh, try uh, Michelangelo. So that was about Da Vinci. Try uh, Michelangelo and the Pope's Ceiling by Ross King. I found it super interesting. And again, I'm trying to get Jesse to read art history. I feel like he would benefit from that. Like uh, As an get, artist? No, he'd get a lot out of it. Like mm-hmm. he, he would enjoy that as a genre. 
all the boys are writing down the, their book okay next yeah no i'll try again i might have just been the mood i was in but i i would tentatively recommend that book even though i for whatever reason didn't enjoy it drunk will go for it uh entree leadership uh that's by dave ramsey it is a classic i should have read it sooner and this is the kind of book i'll read every few years or so it's just really good yeah i've read it a lot of times on on leadership and business i feel like i need to read it when i'm maybe start a business or something like that just because it's then extremely practical all the leadership stuff you can kind of pull out of it and just take into life um but it's just a good book especially because it straddles the line between uh, a business book a leadership book and a kind of christian living book so like it's just it hits a lot of people and i think it's an easy read as well so good book yeah, it's a great book. It's been a while since I've read that. Uh, I read Red Notice as well. Don't need to talk about it. Great book. Go read it. Uh, Your Brain on Porn, Gary Wilson. Um, if you're... Have read. Yeah, yeah. And you you had a really interesting insight on that, that you recommended it to someone who was hooked on porn, and they found it really insightful and really helpful for them to understand what their brain was going through um, in an addiction to porn. And he basically makes the case, like he doesn't take addiction language lightly, he basically makes the case that it is an actual addiction and can properly be defined as such. Yeah, and he says any any people who try to make this, well, this is addiction, this is behavior thing, he says essentially you end up splitting hairs if you try to create a distinction yeah. between what people are doing with pornography and what people are doing with uh, cigarettes or something yeah, like that. Yeah, highly recommend with the caveat of that it is not a Christian book. There is some just with dealing with the topic Graphic there's some stuff. graphicness yeah yeah they don't describe scenes or anything like that but it, it, there's just the language used is very sexual and very graphic and i'm going to be honest with you though like in the especially in the case of the person i recommended it to and in the case for anyone who's actually addicted to pornography there's nothing in that book that is worse than the thing you're trying to get away from i i don't think like for myself uh, I, I didn't find it triggering at all um in terms of like resurfacing my historical issue or and for this person none of this is worse than this problem this actually triggered this person beginning the process of, of facing and, and ending their addiction to pornography mm. and and i would agree with jacob it is a hard book to read in some sense and that christian parents should you know if, or if you're a christian reading it be be aware of the fact that uh, it's a bit gritty i i appreciate those caveats because that's number eight on my list for this year uh at, and it's a reread it was more it was just as difficult to read the second time as the first time. And there were definitely points I had to turn it off. Like, where I was just like, okay, being honest with myself, this is just not putting me in good headspace. So it's like, I'm going to pause it and come back to it later. And maybe I just have like a softer mind for that. But I do think it's like, it is worth emphasizing again. If you approach the book, come with a, with light feet and be ready to jump out because it's not worth it if it's going to cause you to be stumbling. But I especially think for someone who doesn't struggle, this could be a very helpful thing to try to get into the head of what's it even like to understand it as an addiction. What's the day-to-day yes. experience of someone who's who's a sexual creature who's stuck in this behavioral addiction? Exactly. Yeah. And it's so much more than like your desires are in the wrong place. It's like, that's huge. But let's also understand the fact that you are physically addicted to this. And it's nigh impossible, aside from a miracle, to just be like, I'm out. 
The other thing that's really important is your grandparents' Playboy magazine is not in the same category of thing as today's pornography. Which is what Wilson wanted to emphasize. He's like, I'm specifically talking about this because the internet pornography phenomenon is so different. Yeah. 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 And that's why, like, like again, the same heart issues behind, look, hunting up Playboy and, and pornography. Or having still an it. affair. Like, oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. But, like, there's, there's a level of... Grace and, and patience you need to have with the people who are hooked on hardcore pornography because it's an overstimulant of the next level, the, what we have with pornography, right? So, anyways, great book. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Uh, give it a read. I'm laughing because I'm at book five out of 47. And so we're going to have to. We need to speed up. We need to speed up a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Uh, oh, I think, Owen, you're next. Okay, uh, side by side, or walking with others mm. in wisdom and love by Dr. Ed Welch. Um, I think you mentioned this last year, right, John Michael? Yeah. Uh, it's a good book. It's on sort of relational, practical uh, counseling for the Christian. It's, yeah, it's a very short book. Very If you want a book hitting that topic uh, about how to be a helpful person in a relationship uh, from a counseling perspective, this is an easy short read. Uh, my next book was Cannery Row by uh, huh. by John Steinbeck. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I kind of picked, I, after loving East of Eden so much last year, I kind of picked this one at random. And uh, look, it, it's it's sort of vignettes. It's not really a plot. Like, it does have a plot, but it's sort of almost these little episodical little stories. I feel like because it wasn't supposed to be a plot-based book, I won't. the plot wasn't very strong, and I won't really remember it. But some of the stories in it, I don't think I'll ever forget. Ones that just made me, like, like cry so hard. Um like if anyone's read it, the scene with the beer. It's on my list. I really would love to. I'd love Steinbeck. Cannery Row. I I wouldn't like again. It's not like the best book I've ever read, but there were like certain parts. And again, it's Steinbeck, so he's just such a good writer. And like just the pic, it, it was more like looking at a painting to be honest than reading mm-hmm. a book. There wasn't this crazy like plot going on. It was it was more like these gorgeous or and it was it was weird because it was these juxtapositions of these very lighthearted, funny and beautiful moments to like the next scenes about suicide or something. And it was like kind of back and forth stories of these people in Canary Row and the way their lives intertwined. I would I would I would definitely recommend it. It was good. How long is it? Pretty short. I forget. Maybe uh, maybe like a, a eight nine hour audiobook okay. or something. Pretty short. Just an aside. Um, multiple professors at Southern like absolutely love Steinbeck, and East of Eden is their favorite book ever. Which made me go like, "You guys are all the coolest people ever." I can't wait. Uh, again, plug to the documentary when it comes out. But there's a podcast that we did with Jeremy Pierre who's one of the counseling professors at Southern. And to be honest, I've wrestled with East of Eden several times. I read it again this year because I was like, I need to come into contact with this book again and stop talking about it from a theoretical point of view. Just because we've had people, like I've had people who I really respect push back Mm -hmm. and who literally stopped reading it because it was unhelpful for them. And then other people who, most other people who read it who are like, it's in my top 10 books. Like, it is so good. Anyways, in the podcast, Jeremy Pierre amazingly handles how sensitive topics can be dealt with in either a good way or a bad way and how art from a Christian perspective can be handled. And I'm not even going to try to strike the balance, but at least for me, he helps to clarify a book like East of Eden that is very, very heavy at points. And could be potentially unhelpful 
and yet still is a masterpiece. Yeah, and I don't know if anyone's debating it's a masterpiece, but that like it could actually be helpful and good and like God honoring to read it. Yes. And so for anybody who I've ever had a conversation about this, like I am looking forward to you listening to that podcast. So anyway, we can move on from this. Now, yep. But uh, so good. Number six for me, The Death of Porn by Ray Ortland. Going to keep this brief. Not a good book. Don't read it. Um. Yeah. I, okay. So maybe I do. I need to explain. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> it's a massively ensconced. Yeah, Owen just looks like. <laughs> Uh, I love Ray Ortland. I've listened to his sermons. I've read other things from him. It just all the Ortlands write which awesome Ortland stuff. Is this? So this is the father of Dane, and the other one. Um, just being honest, it felt out of touch. It it's a recent book too. So if this was a like super early on beginning the conversation with pornography, I feel like I would give a little bit more grace. But it, honestly, it's a twenty. I think it was twenty twenty one. Like. Is recent and, and out of touch. How like he seemed to be talking about like he's talking about it, so magazines or like no. So it's like it's structured as like she is royal, you are royal, we are royal, and it's all about like how our worth is in our in how God created us as in the image of God. So it's like oh beautiful like amen, but then it's both not practical like it doesn't go into the practical things of how to help people it's not really about why porn is bad so like it's not taking that angle and then on top of that throughout there's like stories that are like actually kind of like they're detailed and there were points i was like oh my this is tempting like this is i would never recommend this to a struggler if only because of how salacious some of these stories are and obviously not intending to be inciting to lust but at the same time it's just like it, that's what the effect of this is doing so it felt out of touch like you sh- you don't need these details this isn't that practical and it was like a cool concept but it's just like you should have run it by some counselors the author clearly did not know how to handle the topic exactly yeah. so I think that's the kicker is you should have run this by some counselors and again I mean this is one of the weird areas where I think Jamaica and I actually our opinion carries a little bit of weight having what we've read on the topic and been thinking a lot of it and talking and learning and all this stuff. I haven't read the book, but I've read passages from it. It's just the specifically the problem areas. Like, and I think the biggest problem is, is what Jermichael said at the end there. Like the, he, he's a good writer. He paints some very vivid pictures and they're not helpful. Like it don't like you, you're architecting an image in my mind that's not helpful at all. And I'm cool with it because it's not something I actively struggle with in that way. But man, someone who's like trying everything they possibly can to get like the idea of naked women or naked men or any of that stuff out of their mind, don't put those images back in there. It's not helpful, man. And I, yeah, it's just, it's rough. It's not, it's not, it's an awful book, but it's, I, I wouldn't recommend it ever. Sorry, let me, uh, let me pull up the old. Um, two, I'll just do two because I want to do them quickly. Uh, Screwtape proposes a toast. It's a sequel to Screwtape Letters. Found that out this year, and it's good. It's it's oh, by C.S. Lewis. yeah, by C.S. Lewis. Oh. It's good. Um, and then it's a series of his essays. Jamike, you read the same uh, ones that I did. It's just really good. It's more C.S. Lewis. It's more a bunch of his essays. They were great. <laughs> read it. I don't even need to say too much more about that. Then the second I read, interpreting the Pauline Epistles by Tom uh, Tom Schreiner. Tom Schreiner is an incredible writer, one of the most prolific New Testament theologians in the world. Um, it's a book on interpreting the Pauline epistles. It's great. 
I, I want to talk about uh, Screwtape Proposes a Toast more later, but I'm just going to leave it for now. Stay tuned for that subject. All right. Uh, towards the beginning of this year, I found a collection of P.G. Woodhouse novels, like Unabridged, read by Stephen Fry. What? Um, so I I hit that up pretty hard. So you're going to hear a few P.G. Woodhouse in the beginning of this. I then recommended it to Jesse. I don't know if you took advantage of that at all, Jesse. But uh, the first one I listened to was Carry On Jeeves by P.G. Woodhouse. And I don't need to talk about those books. I think I talked about the last year. They're just light. Yeah, go listen to my last podcast, or the last series we did at one on books for PG Woodhouse. Yeah. Uh, oh, and yeah, to answer your question, I did take you up on that, and I'll just add that one here. Um, yeah, I... So going totally out of order. The Inimitable Jeeves, which I think is the first one. Again, Stephen Fry is like the goat of audiobook readers. He's hilarious. And like... A lot of the books I read were, were heavy either because it was a heavy topic or because it was like characters and it's like, if they don't do this, the world will explode. Kind of like classic book story stuff, you know? And then these stories are like the worst thing that can possibly happen is that they like lose a bet and like they miss evening tea. It's like <laughs> the lowest stakes I've ever read in a book ever. And it was an incredibly relaxing break from it was just hilarious and awesome he's he's so good he's he never like uses the same hilarious word twice and it's just and, okay i need to british, read these yeah it's it's british slang so it's like you don't understand you simultaneously don't understand a word they're saying but also understand them all so deeply yeah because weirdly these words you've never heard before are intuitive somehow when they say I'm biffed, it's like, you know, in the context, exactly what he means. It's just like, I don't even know if that's one of the words, but that sounds like one of the words. It's like, well, I'm really boffered by this. It's like, yeah, legit. Dude, I too have been boffered at points in my life. You know? Okay, you're up next. No, that, that's my book, okay. The Inimitable Jeeves. Okay, I'm going to do the next three. Um, Prince Caspian, Voyage of the Dawn Treader both by C.S. Lewis and then Your Brain on Porn by Gary Wilson. We already kind of talked about those series. So like, and Gary Wilson, uh, Your Brain on Porn, we already talked about too. So this is quick. Cool. Uh, I'll just do two as well because I do have a lot of books. Uh, Purity Principle by Randy Alcorn. It's good. Um, it's dated. He wrote it a while ago. I actually wonder if there's space for some really good theologian to write another book on pornography like a really good lay level simple one only because finally free and purity principle are kind of like the classics and they're a bit old i don't know it's they're good like they're both good and i but i would recommend um finally free over over the period principle but randy elkhorn's a fantastic it was it was a good little book not much to say um this will be a bit more for discussion welcome to the monkey house by kurt vonnegut have you read that right owen really neither of you i have not no i could have sworn i thought i thought i read this because you recommended it no Jesse, who just went to the bathroom right now. Jess, you read... Uh, he, he's back. You read uh, Welcome to the Monkey House by Kurt Vonnegut, right? Yeah, I did. I loved it. Yeah, it's really good, eh? It's just a whole collection of his short stories. Yeah. Um, I don't have much to say apart from they're zany. They're weird. It's really cool because I've read other Kurt Vonnegut. And, and he just uses like this book or this collection as an opportunity to just write so far outside of what you would think his normal style is. And so he just writes tons of different styles and different ways and just kind of has fun it's, it's a good, it's a good yeah bag. and like i've i read I, I don't think i read it this year or at least if i did i forgot to put it on my list but i read the slaughterhouse five didn't love it um he's a genius writer i just didn't love that book but 
man the, the the short stories are so fun because he's a master at almost every genre like whether it's like a little cute little romance or a, or a, a thing that's basically just a long joke with a punchline or like <clears throat> sci-fi that's really deep and thoughtful and the best part is you don't know what the next story is going to be so you're reading the story, story collection and you have no idea if the next one's going to be again like a long lead up to a punchline of a joke or some deep comment on society or just a cute little vignette and it's like you have no idea it's so fun such a fun book Lo- loved almost every single one of them yep Owen. Uh, the Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. It's actually sitting right here on the. Well, I wonder if uh, Michael's going to have something to say about this book. Yeah. <laughs> I, I read it because John Michael recommended it. I asked you guys, like, what's your what's the one book out of last year that you think, hey, Owen, make sure you read that? And John Michael said The Treasure Principle. So I, 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 I read hope it. this uh, stood up. Uh, it did. It did. Actually, you know what? It's a. So it's about like. It's a book about Christian giving, like what it means to be giving, um, whether it's the church or whatever, as a Christian, you know, give of your first fruits kind of principle, right? And I feel like that's a topic that I've definitely heard handled badly. I've definitely heard handled in a real fundraising type way. You know what I mean? Um, And Jake wants to make a comment about fundraising. As an aside, do you have a problem with fundraising type people? I don't, but you you know what I mean. you're speaking to two of them. I've heard sermons where it's like, it's all a build up to passing the plate. You know what I mean? And you're just like, okay, this this feels like a a grab. You know what I mean? But he does a really cool job of handling the treasure principle. Like what is the principle of of where you're putting your treasure and how to do that well? I honestly, if you have not read a book about Christian giving and what it means to give, read this one. First of all, it's super short. Yes, it is so accessible. Um, it, it will it will take you an evening. Yeah, read this book. You'll benefit from it, and I promise you, it's not going to hit you in a cheesy kind of way. I didn't know anything about his financial history. It is riveting. Yeah, um, that's actually something I had no idea Randy Alcorn had gone through those things. Um, it, it, I honestly recommend like every Christian should read this book. I, yeah. I, big amen. Man, it's it's so, so short. Cool. It's so short. So like, every, no, you have no excuse. It's. I think I read it in an afternoon at the beach. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That was actually on my list too. So I'll just do that one as well. Uh, the treasure principle was like. Uh, what I really loved about it, besides all the things you guys just said, was also that he didn't back off of like, saying like, "Hey, there's a very good chance that you're called to extremely radically giving." Like, which. A lot of people love to like immediately be like, oh, it may seem like Jesus is saying this, but really he's saying this. And it's like, because of the, you know, context of the time, whatever. And I don't know. I just appreciated that he was like, you, yeah, you might not be called to like this life of poverty in service of giving, but you very well might be. And like, you need to take this extremely seriously. And there's like very high chance. And I, I love that he was quite radical with it. It was like, it was very convicting and, and it, it was just awesome. Totally. It's, man, I'm so glad this is standing up just because, uh, you know, you put yourself on the line when you recommend a book. But it, for me, every time I've read it, strikes the balance of a good theology of giving and just continually pushing me to be like, how can I be slightly uncomfortable with the stuff that I have oriented towards giving it away? And just, just that constant uh, tone of how do I give up some of my things 
to invest into the kingdom and to help someone. It's just, I don't know. Yeah, and I like Jesse that. was saying, I love the fact that so many people when they're talking with it, it's like, now there's nothing wrong with being, you know, a Christian and rich. And there's, you know what, like just because we're supposed to give doesn't mean that you need to give till it hurts. You know what I mean? Like people like water down the necessity of our duty so much and make it so easy to meet the bar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he does say, hey guys, look at this. The bar's a little higher than you thought. And I love that about the book. Well, and also it's like Jesus never said it's okay to be rich and a Christian. It's like, I theoretically, we compare those things together, but there is no verse that's like, you know, like you should give a lot, but like, you know, it's okay to be rich and, and a Christian. It's like all the passages that talk about riches and Christianity are extremely negative. negative. And well, and even just like give, give, like, Everything is oriented around pushing yourself to give more and not to invest now, but to invest into eternity. Well, okay. So I, I heard a podcast. It was actually Tim Ferriss, I think, talking to his friend. And this always stood out to me because they're not even Christians. But the one guy was saying, yeah, I think it's really important to be generous for like your own mental well-being or whatever. And then his other friend was like, yeah, totally. I make sure I give a certain amount of charity every month. And then he was like... But he's like, I don't give too much right now because I know that compound interest is a thing and that I'll be able to be even more generous in the future as my like wealth increases, which is so legit. And I think about that all the time where I'm like, okay, I'm only going to give the 10% because, you know, the more I can save, the more I'm going to have compound interest and I'm going to have a lot of money in the future and I'll be able to be really generous. And then the other guy said back to Tim, I think he was like, yeah, but remember that compound interest applies to everything in life. It doesn't just apply to your savings. It applies to the good you could have done into the world and the potential greed that might grow in your heart. It was just like, and then it was like, oh yeah, everything is compound interest. If you think about like, I, I, you can't see this it's a podcast, but like a, 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 a bell curve or whatever, where it like, you know, it, it builds on itself. Yeah. Compound interest applies to everything. Growth. Exponential growth. It's like giving has exponential growth for your spirit. As, because that's what God designed us to be. It also, in the charities that you give to, they may ha be able to do exponential good in the world because of the... Anyway, he, uh, whatever. But, I don't need it, to keep going on this, but like radical giving is like, I, I'm not that good at it. So like anytime I can be slapped in the face in an inspiring way, it's like great for me. I g g Hit me. Totally. So. And, and then it's like, it does that. And not only that, it gives a logic that's not prudishness or the the praising of cheapness, which is not always a good thing. It gives a logic to why we need to be wise with our money yeah, and, and a motivation that's better than just, I'm trying to save so I can get a house, which is like, what's fine. But it, it gives you like the, I'm going to be wise and, uh, and scrupulous with my, or no, not scrupulous, careful with my money so that I can give more because of it. Anyways, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, for me, that's, <laughs> Yeah, the two books that I'm doing right now, Slaughterhouse-Five and The Treasure Principle. So moving on to Jermichael. I feel like I'm talking a lot here. <laughs> Habits of Grace by David Mathis. I actually pulled this one out just to highlight it. Um, very interesting book. I got tons of these at Cross and gave away like 30 of them. So awesome book on personal devotions. Because uh, there's only time to share one observation the thing that this book has changed most of how I do personal devotions is it talks about how scripture is like breathing in and how prayer is like breathing out. And personally, I just find that like a helpful metaphor to think about just the more I've spent time on that. And then also like universally, they like, we've talked to tons of people. They always recommend reading scripture first and then praying. And 
I've always done prayer first and scripture reading afterwards, like scripture study afterwards. And like sometimes I'm dispersing back and forth, but like the meaty time that I spend in prayer is first and then scripture reading afterwards. And since reading this book, I've switched it and that's been amazing. So, sorry, can you just repeat that last statement? Yeah. So I used to do a meaty prayer first and then uh, meaty time in scripture afterwards throughout the book they're talking about how you need to be reading scripture first and then praying afterwards because then their relationship becomes you're praying the word what uh, like what motivates your prayers then mm-hmm. becomes the praises the requests the burdens that each scripture you're reading every day is going to be and for me even just uh, getting out of the habits of only praying for x things or whatever topics are first on my mind that day is really helped by saying I'm first going to study this this word and then let that give me subject material for what I pray about as mm-hmm. well as other things. Yeah. But it gives legit. even attributes of God. It brings up things that's like I would not have prayed about that if I'd first spent time in prayer. It's just really practical. Yeah, no, that's that's super legit about about a conviction and b attributes of God that you're thankful for totally. I get that. Huge plug for a book I read farther down in this list, um, Personal Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life by Don Whitney. I took a class with him. Uh, really, really good book. Like, it might be one of the most practical books on personal spiritual disciplines I've ever read. Fasting, prayer, Bible reading, scripture memorization, everything. Like, if you want just like a handbook for devos, for the Christian life, this is like one of the best books ever. It's a great book because you can just go chapter by chapter on like whatever you're trying to work on or think through. Um, number 10 for me, I'll, I'll do 10 and 11. Um, they should be quick. Writing Better Lyrics by Pat Patterson. Jess, I think you read this. Yeah, I own that book. Yeah, okay. Really enjoyed it. It's good. At least the first half. I didn't really like <clears throat> When he got into like meter and stuff, I just was not that interested. Like that's more something mm-hmm. that I do intuitively and I don't really, not interested in studying. Yeah. But like the, I when I did it, I did it as if it was a textbook and I was in school and I did all the exercise. He had a ton of writing exercise where yeah. he'd be like, write about your front porch, your childhood front porch for like two minutes straight and just write as fast as you can. And then when the timer stops, stop. Like certain exercises like that, super fun, super stretching, just really great. I, I would definitely recommend the book as like, if, especially if you actually do the exercises, it's a way better read. Yeah. Uh, really good. Matt Boswell recommended this book to us um, or told us to read it in the class we took with him. He said he was kind of like, there's not really any great lyric writing books out there, but this is the best one he's found. That Those were his words, essentially. It's, it's hard to read a great one because it's so subjective. There's some yeah. lyrics that are like, they should be bad, but they're good. Yeah. Or ones that should be good, but they're bad. And it's like, and even in saying that, someone else would say they're good. But, sure. but yeah, as far as books go, this one's like, it's less about like, this is good and this is bad. It's more like, here are like things you can do that are going to stretch you. And even if you have a different, a less conventional idea of what good lyrics are and you want to write something a little bit weirder, like this will stretch you in your ability to do that. It's, yeah. it's just like pushups yep. for songwriters. Yep. It's good. Uh, second book, 11, I suppose is confessions by St. Augustine. It's good. I like, I like it. It was uh, clearly it's one of the most impactful books ever. Potentially the first autobiography. I just didn't pull much from it. To be honest, I find it a difficult read. Yeah, I, I mean, it's about that. Uh, the next book I read was The Magician's Nephew by Lewis. We've already talked about all this stuff. I was actually I was planning to read all the Narnia in like a week. 
<laughs> I, I just like, you know, I haven't read these in a while. And I read this one in an evening and then completely forgot to read any of the other ones. So that's the only uh, Narnia book I have on here. I just had other stuff I was reading. Um, yeah, we already talked about this. Uh, my eighth book of the year was At Your Best by Carrie Newhoff. Um, it's a business book, kind of a bit like how to structure your day and like basically prioritize, you know, 80-20 principle kind of stuff. I would say like it was a really good book, uh, but I, I've read some of the books that clearly he based his material on like stuff like deep work, like other sort of semi-classics like that. And I would say like some of those books I think were a bit better than his distillation of it, but it was a really like inspiring read and got me to think about some stuff where it's like, Hey, don't just prioritize what you like have to do, like prioritize what you want to do and what you think contributes value to the world. And like, put that first and be disciplined about putting that first, which it sounds selfish sometimes. So like something I'm doing right now is like my mornings are my green zone as he would call it. He does a red, yellow, green zone. And I'm trying to give every Thursday morning to working on my album. And I'm like, it has to be like a calamity at work before I, in my freelance business, before I give up on that. And I, it's weird because it's like, this isn't giving me money or anything, but like, I think this is important to me and I'm like forcing myself to do it. And I, I think this is like, what's going to, what feels like adding value to the world to me. It's, it's silly, but I'm, and like probably some people are judging me even hearing this. But no, 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 no. I, that, no, that, that look that I just gave you, Michael, was a look about for us. No, I didn't, I didn't mean that you guys are. I just mean like some people would be like, you should be providing for your family. And Somebody like, I there. should be. But, but yeah, I, I think like if I don't do it, honestly, I never will. It's like, it ends up on the time that I'm most exhausted and then I just have no motivation to. So I'm, I'm trying to be really disciplined about this. Totally. I actually, I, I have a massive amount of respect for that. It's hard if you're um, an artist to fit your, your, your actual personal art discipline into your life sometimes when you've got like a family to feed and stuff like that. Um, but I do think it's really important for you as a person. And also down the road, your, your art might actually become the thing that supports you. It's never going to get there if you don't work on it. And even if it never does, it's good for you to develop that. I think it's really good to develop that if that's the way God made you. This has Thanks, been a, guys. This has been a really practical question and problem for Jamichael and I as we're working on the documentary because we have about 1,015 things that we have to do. Um, and often fundraising type things, emails we're writing to churches, so many emails, often kind of take priority because they're like, it's urgent. We've got to get on this ball. And some of the creative boots on the ground work of the actual documentary keeps getting pushed. And it's it's tough. To, I mean, there's it's so many balanced decisions that need to be made. But sometimes the stress of fundraising and the, 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 the tight spots that we're finding ourselves in take higher... They feel like they make higher priorities than they should. Does that make sense? So sometimes I think we need to... We sometimes have to take a step back and go, let's do the deep, like the important work, the documentary building work first only so that we don't let the pressing things crowd out the the work yeah i mean this this matrix is in like any business book it's in this one we talked about it's in entree leadership it's in everything so like probably tons of podcast listeners are familiar with it but like the idea of like there's important and urgent important but not urgent urgent but not important not important not urgent and the the two bookends are obvious but then the middle two it's like how do you flip them and it's like i'm trying so hard right now to put important but not urgent before the urgent but not important and it's like at the end of the day when i look back on my life if there's a few emails and like little deadlines like again little ones not not like big wrecking clients lives but like if some things slip through the cracks in order so that i can do things that feel important and meaningful to me then 
that's okay. I would rather like look back on my life and see that than look back on like, wow, I never ever put the time into this thing that was important to me. Totally. Um, number 11 for me, Purity Principle, Randy Alcorn. Already talked about it. So number 12 by John Awuchakawa. Um, probably botched that last name. Uh, it's called Prayer. It's good. It's decently practical. And it especially goes on how the church can pray together in a broader sense. So just, it's a cool short nine marks book. So great. Next on my list is The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. Meh. I don't know. It was one of those books where it's interesting, it's short, and then I tried to look afterwards to see if there was a meaning, and there isn't really much of a meaning, so frick it. Thank you for listening to this podcast's conversation. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, consider subscribing and sharing and all that jazz. It's immensely helpful. I'm all about having meaningful, interesting conversations. So if you know of someone I should talk to, hit me up on Instagram at it's the Volk. Have a good one, guys. <laughs>